There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on a Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, then you know this program is all about helping people more create more meaningful and productive personal and work lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Every week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use in your life and that you come alive with the possibility of living with passion, working on purpose, and are inspired to discover for yourself just how big and fulfilling your life, work, and leadership can be. And if you do catch fire from anything you hear, reach out and tell me about it. Email me at elise at elisecortez.com or use the contact me feature on my website to message me. Tell me how I can help, whether you want to join the distribution list to stay informed of these weekly radio show conversations, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community, you want information on my purpose-driven leadership programs for individuals or companies offered on-site or via webcast or on the retreats that we're offering these days, or you want to see about having me speak for your company or conference. Either way, I'm glad we're connected, and thanks for listening. Now, on to this week's program. With us today is Michelle Connell. She's a chartered financial analyst and the president and owner of Porsche Capital Management, LLC. Her company is thought to be the only registered investment management firm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to be owned by a female CFA charter holder. She specializes in addressing the unique financial needs of the burgeoning underserved markets of female investors, charities, and foundations. She joins us today from Fort Worth, Texas. Michelle, welcome to Working on Purpose. Good afternoon, Elise. Thank you for having me. Isn't this so fun? You know, I just, I, I so appreciate just the whole notion of networking. We need to first thank Ashley Lindsay for bringing us together. Thank you, Ashley, for being a fantastic talent scout and bringing Michelle to me. Right? We have to thank, we have, we have to start there with, gra- with gratitude. Elise is, uh, Elise, Ashley, as you know, is the best at bringing people together. Probably one of the best uh, women to do that in Dallas. I would say so as well. So about you now, focusing the rest of the show then about you, and, you know, it's kind of interesting, the topics that I've had on the show and the four years I've been hosting it. The reason I wanted to have you on the show, Michelle, is that I wanted to talk about how money relates to us pursuing and ultimately living our purpose. That's going to be the background of our conversation here as we go along. So if our listeners are scratching their head going, I don't get it, you know, capital management and purpose, I don't get it. Trust us, listeners, we'll make the connection for you. (laughs) So before we get into some of the dialogue we want to have here, Michelle, I just think it's good for if you could just say a little bit about your background and how you got into this business, your why for becoming an investment and wealth management professional. Well, Elise, I've been in the business for about 25 years, born and raised on the West Coast. Uh, let's see, I have an MBA in finance, and as you said, I have, have a, a CFA, a Chartered Financial Analyst designation. I always knew that I wanted to be in this business, so that's required if you want to work on Wall Street and institutional money management. Uh, I've been the head of a tech sector for a major bank during the uh, fall of the uh, tech bubble back in 2001, 
relocated to Chicago and did private equity and private debt there before I moved to Texas. And since I relocated to Texas in the last probably eight or so years, I founded my own firm and I'm also a adjunct finance professor at UTD Dallas and teach the CFA. And as you said, I am believed to be the only female CFA uh, who has her own firm in North Texas. Well, congratulations. You know, I love everything about that. One, it's just outstanding when I see people going for what they want in their lives. I appreciate that tremendously. And I know it was a ton of hard work and effort, blood, sweat, and tears, Michelle. So I just want to applaud all of that effort. I appreciate that. It's inspiring right there. Um, and, Thank and, you. Yeah, you're welcome. And will you say a little bit about however you're connected to this notion of the, the money part of our lives? Why is protecting and managing wealth management important to you? Well, why don't I get to that point and tell you how I figured that out at an early age. Um, My mom tells me that at the age of five, I liked the stock market. I would watch the ticker go across the buildings in downtown Seattle. I had a father who was a business professor, a dean of a business school, and then a chancellor. And so I come by finance and business. It's in my DNA. And about the age of 12, my parents divorced, and my mother didn't even have a high school degree. And I found out close and personally that if you do not have a plan as a woman in terms of a career or how to handle your finances, it's very overwhelming, and it creates a crisis situation for your family. So I was determined after living that as a child that that was not going to happen to me. Oh my gosh, Michelle, I, I, you know, you're speaking to my heart and you and I had a first conversation about what we might be speaking about on the show as it was. And I have such a thing about women being able to stand on their own because we just don't know how long we're, we have a partner in life and it's just so important to have an avenue here. So I'm so happy to have you come on and share your expertise. And in fact, I know you specialize in helping charities, foundations, and women, especially those who are divorced or newly on their own. And I'm curious just how you found that particular vein to serve. I think I probably came to it, uh, especially with helping women And by the way, women, most of us, 90% of us at some point in our life will be responsible for our family finances. So it doesn't have to happen through divorce. It doesn't have to happen through an untimely death. Something will happen in your family where you as a woman will be responsible for the health of your family's financial situation. And I wanted to make sure that other women got that message loud and clear. Uh, In terms of dealing and working with charities, my first job at a graduate school was taking a museum in San Diego out of bankruptcy. I watched a lot of nonprofits and charities that if they're smaller, they don't get the service and the investment advice that they should, and therefore, They aren't able to help their communities, and a lot of times that's schools, that's children, and that's other women the way that they would like to because their finances aren't in order. Mm -hmm. I so get that, really get that. I think you know, and we spoke about this, that both of my parents passed away in January of this year, and... Um, it's really interesting to notice how, you know, what's left behind when, when people actually move on from this world. And 
they were actually pretty in pretty good shape. But still, you know, it's amazing just the sheer number of things that need to be handled. I think that's very true. And even if you have your financial house in order, having communicated what you have to your partner or to, in your case, your, your child, so they know where the information is, who their experts are that they're dealing with. So if something does happen, that they're prepared and mm-hmm. you're prepared. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's really quite amazing. And again, my mother was extremely organized, but it still was amazing the number of steps we had to, t- to go through to handle everything. And it's still happening, of course. And um, so the next thing I wanted to talk about just kind of related to that, uh, she died obviously at age 73, my father at 78. But what I'm interested in here is when, when you started talking about it's not just divorce that puts women in charge of finances. There's many other things. And so as a social scientist myself, I'm really interested in some of the changing social demographics today that are probably affecting some of those things. And people are starting, they're, they're navigating, navigating their careers for longer, waiting, they're putting off marriage and they're being much more mobile in their careers. And so um, since you do focus on women specifically, um, and I want—I know that you're interested in helping women prepare for, for financial security. I, I'd like to understand what do you see women doing, and and I, I don't know if you want to break that down by generation or anything. But what, what do you see people? What do you see them doing? And I'd also, and when you think about that, I, what I'm also looking for is what do they need to be doing differently than they're currently doing today? Okay, there's lots of layers beneath those questions, Elise. So I'll I know. start with. I'll start with the statistics and and then work down to, you know, how each generation is dealing with that or not dealing with that. I think the thing that a lot of us aren't aware of is women are living longer. We've always lived longer than men, but the chances are is that we're going to far live our spouse probably by five to eight years. We have that, uh, first of all, that we're dealing with. We have longer uh, lifespans, number one. Number two, most of us know that women make less than men, okay? So that means you're putting, even if you put everything away that you can, it's got to last you longer than it does for a man. Number, uh, then probably number three is that women don't invest the way that they should. They typically sit in cash. We're very risk-adverse. And that goes across generations. Um, so while you're, all those factors come into play for many genera- across the generations for women, for women that are younger, I think they even have more that they're dealing with. They have student debt that they're saddled with. Uh, and from that, they also have childcare, which is becoming so expensive, as well as rent. And so that means they have even less to invest. So while we have less to invest, we have longer lifespans, but we're taking less risk. And the only way you're going to make a good return for your portfolio that's going to last you enough time is by taking risk, albeit educated risk. Mm. I want to go back to something that you said earlier about living longer that I think is really important to emphasize. And I do say this, too, oftentimes when I'm out speaking, especially to groups of women. Um, and that is a couple of years ago, I was at a, a women's leadership conference and the speaker was a futurist speaking. 
And she looked around the room and she said, you know, if you are a 50-year-old woman here in this room, as most of us were, and you're in in pretty good health, it's likely that you're going to live close to 100 years of age. And I thought immediately two things, Michelle. One, hot dog, I have more time to get my go after my dreams and my goals to make these things actually come into fruition. And then two, wow, I better take much better care of myself physically and financially to get myself there. So it's kind of sobering when you think about it. It's a long time to live. It, money's got to last a long time. You're right about that, Elise. And what I'm also reading is that when women, because most of us aren't entrepreneurs, and or we're not independently wealthy, when women get laid off in their middle age, they, and especially in the South, by the way, we are unemployed a lot longer than men in the same positions. I Mm. think it's just, maybe it's because like hires like, I don't know. But you have, you know, as we're in a, with the technology, none of us are ever going to sit in a chair for a corporation like our parents did for 20, 30, 40 years. Most of us are going to have many positions in the same career. And as technology is changing, the amount of time that you're sitting in a particular position is becoming smaller. And so you don't even have to go through a bad economy. You can have mergers and acquisitions. Your company can be acquired. Uh, Technology change could take place. Your company may have to downsize. And typically, when women get displaced in those situations, they are sitting on the sidelines longer. And when they do get back in to a position, they are making less. So put all those factors into play. What I said earlier, we have even less money to work with for those remaining 40, 50 years than our male peers. Wow. Well, and then there was one other really uh, very interesting, complicating factor that you and I spoke about, if, if you don't mind mentioning it. Um, and if, if we want to treat it after the break, we can. Um, but if you're comfortable talking about how women are handling or dealing with when they are laid off and they're in, in addition, the Me Too aspect of what's been playing into that. Well, if you're talking, how about, we, I think I referenced my a specific industry, and I'm sure it's true in a lot of professions, but uh, for finance and investments and banking, the male uh, peers or the people, typically, right, the people that are in charge are men uh, at higher levels. Their response to the Me Too situation is if they can get away with it and the, the firms are below a certain point from government regulation, they're just not going to hire women. And there have been firms that have let themselves be named because they're below, I don't know the exact point where you don't have to have, you know, equal opportunity and parity. But they come out and said, we're not going to take the risk. We're just not going to hire women. So Mm -hmm. that handicaps us even further. And frankly, that's one reason why I decided to start my own firm is because that has been the answer, especially in finance and investment, you don't see a lot of women for this this particular field. I can understand why that's the case. It's still very much a bastion of white middle-aged men. I do have to caveat that because I don't like to take an entire segment of the population and bash them. I will say that some of my biggest advocates and have helped me start my firm 
are men who've been in this business a long period of time. But in general, that's still something that we also, as women, have to deal with. A very, very important set of points, Michelle, and balanced as well. I thank you for that. And let's go ahead and grab our first break on that note. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Michelle Connell. She is a certified financial analyst and the president and owner of Porsche Capital Management, LLC. She focuses on addressing the unique financial needs of the burgeoning underserved markets of female investors, charities, and foundations. She joins us today from Fort Worth, Texas. We've been talking a little bit about how she got into this space, why it's important, and some of her unique focus. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Michelle Connell. She's a certified financial analyst and the president and owner of Porsche Capital Management, LLC. She focuses on addressing the unique financial needs of the burgeoning underserved markets of female investors, charities, and foundations, and has more than 20 years of financial experience in management positions with large investment boutiques and private banks, where she managed investment portfolios in excess of $2 billion. She's also the highest rated finance professors in the United States, serving as an adjunct professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. All right, Michelle. So from here, um, I'd love to hear a bit more about just getting us really in the monetary part of our lives. And again, as we'll go on and talk about how, how that can really anchor our direction as we want to pursue things that are meaningful to us in our lives, including our purpose. So what are some of the things that get in the way of people not focusing on their financial lives and money management? I think it's just the rest of our lives, Elise. Most of us are very good <laughs> at putting it off to the side, and I read, it sounds pretty simple, but it's the truth, we just constantly say, you know, I'll get to it, I've got 30 years, and then I've got 20 years, and then I've got 10, and now, wow, I only have a few years left until I'm 55 or 60, and I don't have enough money put away. Uh, The average IRA in the United States is roughly $100,000. Mm. That is nothing in terms of what the average person will need, obviously, to live even below the poverty line for a long lifespan. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a good point. You know, I think I really appreciate how you presence that for us. It's just life. We're just, you know, we're just the, on the, on the hamster wheel and trying to get through each day, and it becomes a lower priority after we pay the mortgage and try to get food on the table for our family, et cetera. So I get that. And all the more reason it's important to bring it back up to the higher level of priority. And 
So along those lines as well, I'm interested, and I, I want to probably just go ahead and start my cringing process now, because uh, I know I'm going to recognize some of the things that you say in some of my own behaviors, but what errors do you see investors, male and female, actually making? Number one, uh, going back to not starting early enough, uh, most basic, most profound concept in finance and simple concept is the power of compounding. So the sooner you start with small amounts, the more it's going to be worth over a long period of time. Not going to recite numbers for you, but if you just put small amounts away and you're disciplined now and you put money into your IRA in addition to a 401k, if you're lucky enough to be at a company that does, you know, have a 401k where they also match, you know, max those things out now while you are young. The people that I know that are comfortable and have peace of mind are those individuals that started that early and gave up something in their life uh, if they were able to, you know, some sort of discretionary item for saving because they knew if they put something away now, they'd have to put away less later. Mm-hmm. And it's a very simple concept. And I would also say, I also think it's, fear and not understanding investing or financing. And I've seen this with men and women. They don't understand it. So they just don't do it. You know, they'll just worry about it later or they put the bare minimum aside here and there when they think about it, but they don't want to address it because they think it's too onerous or too difficult. It's really not, you know, start, start now and it's okay. We're all going to make mistakes. Uh, everybody loses money at investments. Markets go down. The name of the game is losing less over time and being disappointed about following you know, an investment plan where you put away something on a regular basis. Okay, this is where we get to thread purpose with intentionality. So when we think about, in fact, I'll, you know, for me, when I, when I was going through and planning and thinking about my own business and what I'm doing around uh, meaning, passion, inspiration, and purpose, I really got to a place, Michelle, where I was like, I knew what I wanted my life to stand for. I knew what I wanted to do in this life, what contribution I wanted to make, um, and what, what, what kind of philanthropy I wanted to be up to. And when I looked at that, it became really obvious what I needed to do to handle my finances to pull that off. And so, again, this is where I want to thread the, the, the theme of the show back into what we're talking about here. It's so important to be mindful and intentional about how we handle and manage our monies to actually create the lives that we want. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. But it's, it's, very, it's very easy, especially as women, because most of us are not just responsible for our children, uh, especially if you're 40 or over. You have your children that you're managing. You have your household. And the odds are that at some point you're going to be helping one or both of your parents or a relative. So you're juggling a lot. And so it's very hard to be mindful when you don't even have enough bandwidth some days to hold all that together. Right, right. And I go back to something my boss said years and years ago. He talked about how, you know, we're so busy trudging through the forest of life that we forget to, you know, look up and actually notice that we're in an actual forest of trees. It takes literally picking our head up and looking across the horizon to notice that. And I do think it's something we just have to be reminded of, and which is why all the more reason I think it helps to work with someone who knows what they're up to. And 
uh, and it can kind of keep us on track because I think I think the other thing that probably happens is we, we just get intimidated by it. It just seems so large and overwhelming that we just kind of maybe don't want to look at it. Exactly. Or we don't want to ask the questions because we think we're going to, like anything, You don't under, if you don't understand it, you don't want to ask because you think you're going to be stupid. And then maybe something is going on with the investments you have because you haven't asked, you haven't spoken up. And like anything else for women, we are very good at sitting there and just accepting what's given to us, be it a job, a situation in life, or an investment portfolio that someone put together for us or dictated from a company plan. Yes, I totally can see that. And now, along those lines, Michelle, I'm really interested, especially given the volatility volatility of the markets here. We're having this conversation in March of 2019, and coming off of the end of 2018, for a lot of people, it was probably pretty pretty scary. So I'm, I'm interested in your current view of the investment markets. I think in terms of valuation, we are expensive again, just like we were before the sell-off at the end of last year, at least. Uh, the market in December was down over 9%. Uh, international markets were down probably double that last year. But if you look at more, most markets and most sectors or industries within those markets, like technology, et cetera, they have bounced back. And so the possibility for downside, again, is very high. Uh, today, I had um, a conversation with a group of institutional investors. I use uh, research services out of the north frequently, and they said we are or we are already at their target in terms of return potential for 2019. And I that kind of gave me pause. That what that means, Elise, is that we may have made everything we're going to make, and as investors. It's up to us to minimize the downside so that when the markets go down, we're, our portfolios, are, we minimize the damage as much as we can. And you can do that with the types of investments that you're invested in. But if you're in the pool with everybody else in the indices and a lot of the mutual funds, when the market goes down, you're going to go down just as much as they do. So that would be my caution, uh, my cautionary note is that we probably have made what we're going to make this year. Or if we do have more upside, it's not going to be a lot. Um, the belief is also, if you look at all the biggest procrastinators or forecasters on wall street, we're going to be lucky if we make 5% a year going forward in the equity markets in the last 10 years, we've made 10% on average, if not more, I think it's 10 to 12. So if we are living longer as women, the markets are making less, we're going to have to be even more vigilant about we own. You're not just going to be able to hit the boxes with your 401k or your IRA choices or go along with your advisor's recommendations and not understand them and just blindly go along because you could get blind, you know, you could get blindsided if there's another downdraft because the more you go down, the more you have to make up and the less compounding and the less progress you're making in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Well, long, give it, that was kind of long-winded. 
No, that's great. That's great. It really helps us kind of really understand the situation and, and kind of where at least your perspective is coming from. So given that cautionary note, then what are your long-term expectations and your advice for helping us prepare for these future kinds of conditions? My background is a value manager. And what does that mean? Like most people that run, run households and corporations, I like cash flow, positive cash flow. And last year, and now to a degree since the beginning of the year, we're back at the market overall, the stock market overall, is getting behind the stocks that don't have positive cash flow. Those would be names like Netflix and Tesla. And those products are great. You know, I love, as I say to my students, I love Netflix. I love their content, but their businesses aren't making money. They're not cash flow positive. Well, you and I, we have to pay our bills. Companies have to pay their bills. The only uh, organization I know that doesn't have to is the U.S. government because they can keep printing money. But I say in a flip way, I would not want to own a lot of companies that cannot pay their bills and have a lot of debt on the books. If the economy goes down into recession, which we will eventually, we haven't, this is, in June, this will be the longest expansion on record economically in the nation. Mm-hmm. We have to have some sort of a period of time where we experience negative growth. It's just natural. Nothing goes up and the economy will not expand forever. So I think you want to own companies and companies within mutual funds that are more oriented towards strong cash flows because Mm -hmm. those are the companies that hold up during recessions. That is golden, Michelle. Thank you so much for that insight and that advice. That makes complete sense to me, and it's it's very accessible to any of us listening. So thank you for that, and a great way for us to take us into our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Michelle Connell. She is a, a, a chartered financial analyst and the president and owner of Porsche Capital Management, LLC. She is focused on addressing the unique financial needs of the burgeoning underserved markets of female investors, charities, and foundations, and joins us today from Fort Worth, Texas. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Michelle Connell. She's a, a chartered financial analyst and the president and owner of Porsche Capital Management, LLC. She's also one of the highest-rated finance professors in the United States, serving as an adjunct professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. 
So, Michelle, we were talking a little bit on the break here. We wanted to go back and reinforce what we talked about, how women and men invest differently and whether that's good or bad. So will you say just a little bit more about what you see in terms of the differences there? Well, I feel like I've hit too much on the negative. Let me tell you what we do right as women. Men will put all their eggs in one basket or in, uh, with a few eggs. Let me give you for an example. I had a peer recently who asked me if I had a tip on a stock that was going to go up, and this man is in the business, has seven kids, and he said, well, I've got 350000 laying around, and I just you know, want to put it to work. I don't think I would ever hear that coming out of a woman's mouth. There's no way we would risk that kind of money, especially when we have a lot of children that we're responsible for. So women, while we're risk adverse, and that can be bad in terms of we don't take enough risk, we take educated risk. And when we do educate ourselves, it's proven that the best hedge fund managers on Wall Street are women. There aren't a lot of them, but they outperform men because they won't make bets. They will do their research. So I say that because women need to be more confident in their analytical abilities and their ability to understand and buy something what they know. So it's kind of like the Warren Buffett principle, buy what you know. So if you understand healthcare because you happen to work in the healthcare field, look at some companies that you like. Buy some of those in addition to the mutual funds and put them in your IRA. Um, you'll probably do fairly well if you buy several things in an area, again, that you understand. What women don't do that men do is men will put all their money to work, whether it's in their IRA, their 401k, or in their uh, taxable accounts. Women will put on average 70% of their money combined, their entire investments in cash. Now, that's going to do nothing when the market goes up. On average, the average male or female over time, because they sit in cash or they try to time the market, will only make 2% at least. Mm, wow. That's in, the, that's, in the, that's in the past. That's in the past 20 years. So imagine if the markets are making less, we're going to make, if we're sitting in cash, we're not going to make anything. At the same time, inflation's going up. Healthcare, especially as we're getting older, is going up. And so we need to be cognizant to have that money work for us the best way that we can and in putting it in groups of investments that we understand but not sitting idly in something that's not making you any money. You hit on something that is striking me, if we can just take this really quick here, since, again, I wanted to make sure that we always situate this conversation around purpose and intentionality. When you talked about investing in healthcare or something that you know, now it strikes me as, you know, if there is something that we're passionate about in life, whether it's maybe biotechnology or healthcare or whatever it might be, and uh, you know, maybe it's chemicals, who knows, oil, who knows. Um, it, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about investing in things that are that I'm really, really passionate about. That just is not where I'm at just yet. But obviously, if I, I need to know something about that market, I need to know how those businesses are run in order to invest in them. But it does strike me that that could be a strategy to help people extend how it is that they live their purpose. Well, it's interesting you say that because I put that in my notes to discuss at some point today. I'm seeing more uh, investors, especially those under 35, that are more purpose-driven. They want to know 
that the companies that they own are making a difference and a positive difference in society or the environment. And those are socially conscious or social impact funds. Now, I'm not seeing a push from that as much from middle-aged and older people, but I, I find it very fascinating. It gives me a lot of hope that if you ask someone who's younger, what will you invest in? They will think about, now, does that oil company, do they pollute? Or what does that healthcare company do? Are they gouging their uh, patients with the cost of the pharmaceutical? Those are things that they ask that older investors have never asked. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating. And I, I do understand that I, I, from working, of course, with, with some of the younger generations, I do understand that those are very important considerations for them. It gives me a lot of hope that they're going to make a difference. And they don't just want to make money. They also want to have an impact. And you can do both. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of that, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was if you have any examples or an example of someone that you've worked with who has had a dream or a purpose they were pursuing and was able to launch it into the world through their management, money management practices in a way that actually made a difference to how they were living or what they were up to. Do, do, is there something or someone you can share with us, maybe without giving away their identity? Thinking about an older couple that I worked with, and uh, I was born and raised in uh, the Pacific Northwest, specifically Seattle, and I managed money for some families there whose one family member so had done well in Microsoft. And in that part of the world, um, a lot of those clients want to make a difference with their monies. So not only did they have me do some screening when I put together their portfolios, they wanted to make sure that the companies they own did not pollute and were making a difference. They also took some of the monies they had made from Microsoft, uh, diversified that, those monies and those profits, and put it into a family foundation that would help environmental causes. I see wealthy families doing that frequently. And, and, you know, it's not just the fact that somebody wants to make money and for the, just for the purpose of making money. I'm seeing more families setting up foundations and also using those foundations as a way to teach their children how to be charitable, making those children responsible for determining, determining how those monies are used in their communities. So they're taught from an early age that they have to give back. That's part of their responsibility. Mm, I like that. That's actually very inspiring to me. I, I quite like that. I, I, I think that would be something that I would be interested in as well. I have some, some friends who are doing something similar, and they inspire me to no end, Michelle. I just really appreciate it and applaud yeah. what they're up to. And I know yeah, they don't do I it by agree. themselves. You know, they, they get very good advice, and they don't, they don't do it themselves. Exactly. So, so speaking of that, maybe taking it maybe a step back here really quick here, because we were talking pretty high level and I don't want to say grandiose, but really quite high and lofty, if you will, when we're talking about purpose and foundations, et cetera. But you and I, it's, it's when we first met, we're talking a bit about why it was even more important for women to prepare for their investment competency versus men. Say more about that. Why is that important again? It's important because the fact that we are going to live longer. I don't okay. know yep. when it's going yep. to. I, I don't know when it's going to change. At least that we make more than men, or make. I think I read that the by the time women 
have parity with men in terms of income. The estimates are like 200 years plus. We'll have the, the uh, comparisons that I've read where we'll have uh, colonies on Mars. We will be flying with, we will, on uh, Mars rather, uh, we will be able to drive a car or fly a car. Uh, all these technolo- technology advances are going to take place long before we have parity with men. I recently wrote a blog in the last few days because this was horrifying to me. Women have made no progress in the last 20 years into the elite 1% income tax bracket. Mm. The only way that we, the only way women are continuing to get in that bracket elite is marriage. Mm. You know what's interesting to me about that, Michelle, is that as a person who's also an adjunct professor, and I, I do look at some of the stats, we see more and more women graduating from college. And there was just something out, I think, in the Wall Street Journal last week talking about how um, more women are entering the job market than men. Um, it, uh-huh. it just, I, I'm So I guess what that would mean is, if we want to extrapolate with, with the, what's the other side of that is, is that, sure, there's greater numbers coming into the marketplace, but they're still not being paid at parity as men. Exactly. Or we're we're not being given we're not being given the opportunities. You don't see, you know, more women becoming C level executives. Uh, most people that are in the one percent bracket are either at C level or they have been entrepreneurs that have done very well. Yes, we have women starting smaller businesses, but they are not succeeding at the level men do. And part of the reason is is that we're not given the support, uh, especially from lending institutions when we start our businesses. Not not the same amount of support in that area as men do, and that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of work with groups of women and women's, women's leadership groups, et cetera. In fact, I was just speaking to a group on Sunday. I'll speak to another group on Thursday. And part of what I do advocate for is the importance of becoming financially astute, of asking for what you're worth and getting educated on what you're worth, asking and looking for resources. So the other part of that conversation for me is, you know, championing ourselves or together um, because we know, I just was. I'm just reading another book. You know, people are not going to concede power if they've got the ability to, to deny something, and it's in their it's in their best interest. Why would they change otherwise? So we have to be able to compel that. And so, of course, the work that exactly. I'm doing, and I know the work right, the work you're doing is to educate women, give them a voice, give them choices, get them connected to resources, so that we can begin to change that tide. Exactly. It's gonna. It will take time, but you know, it will be done. Yeah. Um, well, we're getting close to the end here already. It goes so fast, I can hardly imagine. But um, a couple yeah. things really quick here, right? Um, back still on the women front here, since I did want to make sure and keep true to some of your focus. Um, how have you seen women especially manage their money well throughout their life when they've navigated like purpose or intentionality? What What kinds of things have you seen them do well that we can learn from? I think they realize that they need to be educated if they aren't in the field. I see women that will go out and hire the right people. We're so busy and the investment world and all the options that are available to us continue to grow. Uh, We now have international markets that are available to us. 
Uh, we all uh, actually the private market is growing faster than the stock market and the debt market. So I'm talking things like real estate uh, uh, being participating in venture capital or uh, participating in the equity of a private company. That seems to be uh, areas where we're, we have more opportunity. So I see women realizing that they don't know everything that's available uh, as well as what those risks are. And so they find somebody that can educate them in that area and somebody who's on the same side of the table as them and who's not motivated by a commission or a one-time fee, but somebody who's a fiduciary. And that's a term that's thrown around very loosely in my industry. Uh, fiduciary basically means that the client's interests are put before the advisors. So ask the questions, hire the right advisor, and that advisor should be educating you so that you're asking better questions and they're giving you a voice and you are, you are a partner with them. Those are the women that I see succeeding. Mm-hmm. That's so great. So important to continue getting educated. I just took a course uh, last month on, on financial investing, et cetera. And, and in my own leadership course, especially for women, I, I have a section where we talk about the importance of being able to be financially astute in an organization because I think women get passed over because they don't understand the business of what they're actually up to either. So that's also the inside of their career piece that can be limiting if they're not continually working at, at learning this stuff. No, that makes sense. Right. Um, well, we've got just really probably one minute left here. If, if Michelle, if I'd like to be able to give you the last word, and I know there's so much you can draw from from your years of experience, but knowing this show is listened to across the globe, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Don't sit there and expect this to take, or this being your investment health, to take care of itself. It may have in the past, and you might have done well enough. You could have done better. Going forward, the markets are going to be more volatile and have less return, and we're going to have more disruption, the more technology that becomes available to us as human beings. So don't placate yourself into uh, thinking that it's all going to be okay, and then you hit retirement, and then you don't have enough money. Um, The statistics say that at least 60% of women will retire into poverty, and that usually means that they have to get some sort of part-time menial job. That's a high percent, Elise. It sure is. I don't think it needs to be that high. I think if we realized the opportunities that we would give ourselves, if we did become educated and were proactive, that number would be a lot lower. Okay, great way to finish, Michelle. Thank you so much for being my guest and sharing your heart, your mind, your expertise, and educating us. Really appreciate you being on. Well, Elise, thank you for having me today. It was fun. Enjoy. Yeah, it was fun. And listeners, you want to learn more about Michelle Connell or the work she does at Porsche Capital Management, visit her website. It's Porsche dash capital.com so that's p-o-r-t-i-a dash c-a-p-i-t-a-l porsche dash capital.com see you next week remember that work is at least one third of our life so let's work on purpose we hope you've enjoyed this week's program be sure to tune in to working on purpose featuring your host alice cortez each week on the voice america empowerment channel this week Find your life's purpose 
at work.